welcome to the Apex Church Podcast. Thanks for listening and we hope you enjoyed today's message. Be sure to check out our website at www.apexchurch.org.uk and let us know you've been listening. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Good morning. So good to be with you today. Hope you're well. Uh, For the next few minutes, I just want to speak on a subject from the Bible, and it's basically concerning warnings. Now, warnings are never very pleasant things, but we do see quite a few warnings through the Bible. So this morning, I want to touch on three different areas, three things that the Bible warns us to run from, or if you want to use one of the old words, to flee from. So the first one is found in the book of 1 Corinthians, and it's the 10th chapter, the 14th verse. And it simply says this, Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Now, we don't come across that word idolatry very often these days. We probably hear about idols, pop idols, that kind of thing. Uh, But I don't think many of us would know somebody that's maybe got an idol sitting in their cupboard that they pull out every now and again and bow down to to worship. Okay, so, so that's maybe not relevant for us. But when we read through the Bible, idolatry was quite a big topic, particularly in the Old Testament of the Bible, but it's also mentioned in the Gospels and also mentioned in the New Testament books. So if it's mentioned in the Bible, it's pretty important for us to take notes of this. So let me give you a definition of idolatry. An idol is a thing or a person or structure that someone submits themselves to as a god. It is a ruling or dominant force or value in their life. Now, we might have idols. Now, straight away, you're going to say, well, no, I haven't got something that I pull out the cupboard and that I bow down and worship. But we could have something, a system. It could be a preference or something that we really, really cherish that opposes the rule of God in our lives. Now, today, what kind of things can become idols for us? Things such as family, work, status, standing in the community, our spouse, our children, our car, hobbies, interests, money, even ourselves. And it's not that these things are necessarily bad things in themselves. They become a problem when they become a God to us. You know, I was speaking with somebody not so long ago, and as we were talking about church, about family life, they, they, they weren't a, a church-attending person, but they said to me, he said, well, Lee, you've got your church. I've got my family. And I tried to explain to them, you know, worship is something, it's God's idea. But people can worship different things. I don't worship, I have a family, but I don't worship my family. They're, they're important to me, but I see God as the most important thing in my life. And I'm sure you do as well, if you're a believer in Christ. It's not that these things aren't important, it's just the fact that God is the most important thing. So why is idolatry a, prob- a problem with God? Well, the Bible says that idolatry is not limiting, limited to just being a physical concept, but it's also seen as a spiritual concept. Let me explain. What we do is we can take something 
and we can replace the one true God in our heart and in our mind. You see, the Bible tells us in the book of Exodus chapter 20 and verse 5 that God is a jealous God. You see, God, when he gave the Ten Commandments, he told Moses the very first commandment that he gave was that you shall have no other gods before me. And then he said, I'm a jealous God. Now, when we think of that word jealous, straight away we think of when we're jealous or, or when a child is jealous, when they want something that somebody else has. Well, God is not quite jealous in that way. God is much more passionate in, in his jealousy. And what that means is God wants that which is rightfully his. Okay? The Bible speaks about all praise, all honor, all worship being due to God. God is jealous for that, and he commands it. The context of this passage in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, notice it, that verse that I read earlier, it started with a therefore. And whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you have to have a look what it's there for. So what Paul is reminding the believers about is that when God, years and years before, brought his people through the Red Sea, God had provided for all their needs. You know, God, God had brought them, he delivered them from the Egyptians, he brought them through the Red Sea, brought them into a good place. But many of them displeased him by falling into the trap of idolatry. They started to worship other things rather than the God that had rescued them. You see, they, do, they did what many of us do. They, they did what felt right to them. They slipped back into their old habits and their old ways rather than doing what they knew to be right in their hearts. The Bible tells us that as a result, many of them died and Paul makes it clear that these things happened actually as a warning and as an example to us today and to future generations that we should not follow in their footsteps. We must be careful and we must take that warning very seriously. You see, because the Bible tells us that when we are born again, when we become a child of God, we can no longer act or behave as we did before we came to Christ. We now have a new master. When we start to make gods of anything in our lives, it puts us in a very dangerous position. And we should not be surprised when we start to see a decline in our spiritual life, but also in our physical life. It is very, very serious. So I want to ask you this morning, is there anything that you have allowed into your life that has taken or threatens to take the place of Almighty God. He's a jealous God. He wants that which is rightfully His. Let me ask you, have you made seemingly good things into God things? Did you catch that? Have you made seemingly good things? Nothing wrong with them. But have you made them into God things? I want to challenge you with that this morning. I also want to give another warning that is found in the Bible. And this was from Jesus speaking to a group of listeners. And it's found in John chapter 10, John's Gospel. Jesus warns about strangers. Now, when we think about strangers, we probably think about telling our children not to speak to people that they don't know. Well, the context of this passage isn't speaking about those kind of strangers. Jesus is painting the picture of himself as the good shepherd. He speaks about how those that came before him, there are many strangers that try and get to the sheep, 
before the good shepherd and cause harm and cause damage. He says, beware of strangers. He also says, beware of thieves and robbers. Thieves and robbers, who are they? Well, they, they are those that come to steal the sheep or cause harm to the sheep. They have no good intention for them. He also mentioned hired hands. Well, if somebody is a hired hand, they may not have the best interest of the sheep. It's only the good shepherd that takes care of the sheep and wants what's best for them. You know, the Bible warns us in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, Peter says, Be sober-minded, be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And we know that Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 10, the thief comes only to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But Jesus says, as the good shepherd, I have come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. That is the good shepherd's heart for the sheep. But we must be sober-minded, we must be watchful, because the devil is always looking for an opportunity to harm God's people. And he loves nothing more than to tempt us with, again, seemingly good things, maybe things that are packaged in a, in a brightly colored package. But when we start to unwrap what he's offering, it doesn't do us any good. It's a distraction. Could be something seemingly good, but it's a distraction and it takes us away from what God wants for us. I believe we also have to be discerning about who we allow to speak into our lives. I don't know about you, but you know, if you go on YouTube or maybe switch on the TV, there are lots of different voices that are vying for our attention. We just don't seem to be able to escape it. But I want to say to you today that we need to be careful who we are listening to. Jesus was quite clear to his disciples. He says, the good shepherd, when he speaks, the sheep hear his voice and they know and recognize his voice. They won't listen to a stranger because they don't recognize his voice. Who are you listening to this morning? Do you know how to hear the good shepherd's voice? Would you be able to recognize his voice when he speaks? You might even ask, well, how can I know the voice of the good shepherd? Well, the Bible tells us that to get to know God, we have to get to know his word. That's one of the principal ways. So reading the Bible, studying the Bible, or listening to Bible teaching from reliable sources are, many, are some of the many ways that we can hear from God. I remember somebody saying to me years ago that although not everybody will attend Bible school or theological college, we're all called to be students of God's word. If you want to get to know God better, if you want to know how to hear his voice, we need to get back to God's word, the Bible. How do you know that what you're hearing is from God? Great question. Well, know this, God will never con contradict what he says in the Bible. If anybody ever comes to us with some fresh revelation, you know, it was even happening in the first century after Jesus had, uh, had died and, and rose from the dead. The early church were being told, oh, Jesus has already come back. And the New Testament writers had to assure the believers, no, Jesus has promised to come back, but it hasn't taken place. You haven't missed it. They were telling them to do all sorts of things and, and turning them back to uh, old covenant practices. But the Bible says that Jesus is coming back and that those things, although we have to wait patiently for them, 
they will take place. The Bible encourages us to walk by faith and not by sight. And faith is placing our trust firmly in God. If God has said it, he will surely do it. Romans 10 verse 17, I love this verse. It says, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. So it always brings us back to God's word. The written word of God, it inspires faith in us. If we've got ears to hear and hearts that are open, God wants to speak to us through his word. And then the third thing that I want to come to as a warning. The Bible warns us about the wrath to come. Now you might think the wrath, the wrath, what is the wrath? Some people say wrath. It is basically, wrath basically means anger. And the Bible warns about one day God is going to pour out his anger upon people, upon sin and upon judgment. So what is God's wrath or God's anger? Well, God's wrath or anger is defined as his precise, controlled and necessary response to moral evil and that which deserves punishment. You see, when we get angry, think about this. When when I get angry, yes, I, I do get angry sometimes, often. But when I get angry, sometimes it's a very impulsive thing. You know, I, I react to a certain situation, you know, or, or it could be just for any reason whatsoever. Something has triggered an angry or impulsive response. Or it can be even irrational. But you know, God's anger is not like that. The Bible tells us that it's never malicious or vindictive, but it is a justified response that is directed against sin or against evil because of its opposition to God's holiness, his moral character, and his nature. If it opposes God's nature and his moral character, it's sin, it's evil, and God is angry about that. Okay, God responds accordingly. The Bible speaks about the day of the Lord. There is a day coming where God's wrath or God's anger will be proved right and proved just. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 15 and 16 tells us that God is holy and he cannot sin, nor can he be tempted to sin. But the Bible tells us that we have all broken God's perfect moral law and are guilty of sinning against God. There is no one exempt. Sin results in God's anger and God must punish sin. Every disobedience must be dealt with. Ephesians chapter 3, sorry, chapter 2 and verse 3 tells us that we were all by nature the children of wrath. What does that mean? It means that every man, woman and child is deserving of hell, of separation from God and an eternity of punishment. That's not a very nice thing, but God warns of that in the scripture. The Bible speaks of a day of judgment where everyone must give an account of what they've done with their lives. You see, God will demand a reckoning of all, every action, every thought, every deed. And it might seem afar off. People might even mock and say, well, where is this promise of this judgment of Christ's coming? But you know, the Bible is quite clear that it will come. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 says that God currently restrains his anger. 
because of his great mercy and love. So think about that for a moment. We often speak, often, often we speak a lot about God's love when we're in church. But you know, the thing is, God is actually holding back his anger and punishment of sin because of his mercy, because he doesn't want to punish people. Okay, it's not his desire. But God is wanting everyone to come to a knowledge of his son, Jesus Christ, and ultimately to a knowledge of the truth. Well, someone might say, well, that's not fair. How can God punish people? Well, what would we think of a God who sees everything that's wrong and then did nothing about it? I think you'd agree we would think that would be pretty pitiful. And how could that be seen as loving or caring or even just? You see, when we look at the world around us, we think about the wars that are currently going on. We think of famine. We think of, of suffering in the world. And we might think that God turns a blind eye to these things, the evil atrocities and the injustices. But God cannot overlook evil. The Bible says that he cannot pretend that it doesn't take place. God sees everything and he knows everything. Hebrews 4 and verse 13 says that there is absolutely nothing that is hidden from God's eyes. Everything is naked, laid bare and exposed before him. He demands an account. As I mentioned earlier, we have all earned judgment for our sin and are rightfully deserving of God's wrath and punishment. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 says that all have sinned. Now when it says all, that doesn't mean some. All have sinned and have fallen short of God's glorious standard. Romans 6 verse 23 says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So think about that for a moment. Sin pays wages. It pays pretty good wages because the end result is death. But God has provided a free gift for you and for me in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He took our place, taking the punishment that we rightfully deserved so that we could spend eternity with God and escape God's punishment. So, we might think then, does this mean that when God says he wants to punish evil, that he somehow takes delight in pouring out his anger and destroying his creation? Wouldn't it be thus then that needs rescuing from God? Well, no, that's not what we see in the Bible. Yes, God is a loving God. And if he were incapable of displaying his anger and his displeasure... Well, his great love would be nothing more than just mushy feelings or, or meaningless sentiment. So we might ask then, well, if God's wrath is completely justified, how can anyone escape such a punishment? Well, I've already alluded it to it. The wrath or the anger of God that is to come one day can be escaped, but it's only through Jesus. We must run from the wrath to come, and we must run to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is only one way, the Bible tells us, that God has made available to us. Romans chapter 10 and verse 13 declares this, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not might, but will, 
shall be saved. Romans 5 verses 6 says, We shall be saved by him and from the wrath of God by placing trust in Jesus. Jesus Christ took our place on the cross. Peter says, Christ died the righteous for the unrighteousness, sorry, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. He was crucified upon a cross for you and for me. He suffered a death and a penalty that was rightly ours and not his own. When Jesus was on the cross, this is what we need to understand. It wasn't just the torture of those nails being driven into his hands and his feet, it, it, that, that crown being placed upon his head and, and being hung on that cross as was a terrible punishment, probably the, one of the worst punishments in history. The real punishment was the full weight of sin being laid upon him. See, because the Bible tells us that Jesus knew no sin. He had no sin of his own. He was never wrong in any way, never had any fault. But Jesus Christ was willing to take that punishment for you and for me upon himself that he might be able to bring us into right relationship with God. Through his death, we are no longer enemies with God. Through Christ, we have been declared in right relationship with God. Not automatically, but it must be appropriated through forgiveness of sins and by placing our trust in Christ. If we're willing to do that, if we're willing to trust Christ for salvation and forgiveness of sin, the Bible tells us that when God looks at us, he no longer sees the guilt and the shame of our sin, but he sees the righteousness and the right standing of his son, Jesus. In fact, the blood that Jesus shed on the cross, the Bible tells us, is the same blood that washes us, washes us from all of our sin and leaves us white as snow in God's sight, leaves us pure, leaves us holy. Furthermore, through Christ's resurrection from the dead, we can now begin to enjoy the benefits of God's forgiveness and the glorious hope of that which is to come, which is eternal life with him. So let me ask you this morning, just as I bring this to a close, will you choose to make Jesus your Lord and Savior? Let me take a step back. Maybe you have already chosen Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Are you allowing anything to be an idol, to take away or, or detract from what God wants to do in your life? Maybe it's time to do a little bit of soul searching and maybe to look within or, or maybe ask God that he might show you if there is anything that you are allowing to vie for the attention that is rightly his. God is jealous for worship. Is there anything that we're allowing to stand between us and God? Let's ask him about that this morning. Maybe it's listening to different voices, what, like I mentioned earlier. Who are you listening to? Have you been listening to someone that's taking you away from God? Well, maybe it's time right now for you to say, God, I'm sorry. I recognize that I've been listening to, to bad influences or to the wrong voices, people that didn't mean me good, but that actually meant me harm. Maybe you need to get right with God this morning and ask God for his forgiveness and to set you back on the right track. Or maybe you've never asked Jesus to come into your life, to change you, transform you, 
to take you from being an enemy with God to being a friend with God. Well, I want to tell you how you can do that this morning. Bear with me just a couple of minutes. Firstly, we need to acknowledge our personal need of him. If we're going to turn around this morning and say, well, I don't need Jesus. I don't need religion. It's not about religion. You'll know if you've been listening to Apex Church for, young, for long enough, it is about a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not about religion. Romans 3 verse 23, I've quoted it already, all have sinned. Each one of us is guilty of sin and makes us an enemy of God. Therefore, we need to acknowledge that we need Jesus because he is the only way. We also need to believe that God had sent Jesus into the world to die for us. The Bible gives us a wonderful assurance that whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So you need to believe that God did send Jesus to die for you. And then thirdly, we need to confess our sins. You are not confessing to a priest. You are not confessing to a pastor. You are confessing your sin and the wrong that you've done before Almighty God. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just and will forgive us our sins and he'll purify us from all unrighteousness. I wonder this morning if you will pray and ask God to forgive you of all the wrong that you've done. You might not remember everything, okay? That's probably a fact. We don't remember everything we've done wrong. But seriously speaking, asking God to forgive you of your sin and accepting Jesus to be your Lord and personal Savior. Let me tell you this morning that that is the best decision you can ever make because it takes you from one minute in darkness to next minute walking on the right path in God's light and you are assured of being born again, saved, and you're now on your way to heaven. God wants you to have a good life now, absolutely. He wants to help you, he wants to be with you. And he promises to do that by the power of his Holy Spirit. But we know we have this wonderful hope that one day Jesus is coming back or if we die before then, we're going to be with him in heaven. So come on, can I pray with you this morning very, very quickly. Father, I just want to thank you for this message that you've given me this morning. I just want to thank you for each and every person that has heard my words. Father, I thank you that there is no better way than to live for Jesus. Father, please forgive us for any idolatry, anything that we've allowed that's maybe seemingly good, but it's gotten in the way of God. Father, please forgive us. Father, for all voices that we've maybe been listening to that meant us no good and have only caused us harm and have been contrary to your voice, help us to listen to the voice and to hear the voice of the Good Shepherd. Father, for anyone that is hearing this message right now that wants to accept Jesus as Lord and personal Savior, Father, I just pray that as they acknowledge their need of you, believe in Jesus and confess their sin before you, that you will forgive. And as they turn away from everything that they know to be wrong with you, that they will firmly place their trust in you for salvation. Thank you, Lord, that just in that moment they become born again 
and receive new life. Thank you, Lord. This is the day that you've made, that we can rejoice and be glad in it. We give you all the thanks and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.